Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. An interviewer asked Don Carson, so Don Carson, a famous theologian, he was asked at a Q&A sort of session one time, uh, is the world getting better or worse? His answer was yes. Um, and it reminded me also to tell you about this book that I read uh, back, uh, look, it was quite a, quite, a while, quite a while ago now, probably in my 30s. And the book was The 50 Facts That Should Change the World. Um, so let me share with you some of the facts from this book. 50 Facts That Should Change the World. The average Japanese woman can expect to live to 84. Her counterpart in Botswana will die at 39. Now, again, these stats are a bit old, but the principles of these stats means that we could find others right now to match. One in five of the world's population, 1.25 billion people, is undernourished. Every cow in the European Union is subsidised by $2.30 a day, $2.30 a day by the government. Three out of four Africans have less than that to live on each day. Justice, injustice. There are 27 million slaves in the world. Many of these are sex slaves and child soldiers. There are 44 million child labourers in India and some working up to 16 hours a day. How about this one? This will date it, but Tiger Woods is paid $50,000 a day for wearing a Nike cap. Thai workers get $3.70 a day to make those caps. Landmines kill or maim one person every hour. And I was listening on the radio yesterday, there was an article, it was a news article, I, I, I can't remember, I didn't quite hear the country that it was, some, some of you may have heard it as well, um, but they were saying that there's a femicide, femicide anybody? A woman being killed. There's a femicide every, uh, one every 34 hours in this country. How is that fair? How is that just? How is that a good world? And there's no shortage of injustice that we could talk about to frame this question, why is there so much injustice in the world? Um, we could have also add things like domestic violence. We could add school shootings. We could add, add school shootings where shooters are taking assault weapons and killing primary age kids. We could talk about unjust wars. Uh, and maybe you think, oh, they're just big, ex- you know, um, extreme examples, Chris, but maybe we could even just talk about something like um, injustice within the promotional system at your workplace. And you might say, well, also, Chris, that's, this, that's humans doing stuff to humans that causes the injustice. But What about things that are kind of out of our control that seem also really unfair or random? We might ask, how is it fair that some babies are born with deformities or with a disability? Uh, What about 
virus suddenly jumping from an animal kingdom into the human world and we end up with a global pandemic? Uh, or what about the injustice of someone getting cancer through, through no fault of their own? Or as my sister and I could ask, why did our dad have to die in a random work accident when I was seven and she was four? Or indeed my mum could ask, how is it just that I could have had two husbands and both of them passing away and leaving me alone? Injustice and brokenness, there's enough uh, of, of stories like that for us to you know, raise this question. How do we deal with this broken world and its injustice? So I think, I think the question tonight, it boils down to two kind of main questions, if you like. Why is uh, the world and life not perfect? We can go to that next slide now. Try it now. Oh, nice. Three cheers for Warren. Uh, and the second one, what is the best way to fix it? How do we go about fixing that? The answer, or any answer that we would give to those questions, will flow from a person's um, story of the world that they attach, that they've attached to and that they live out. Uh, this story of the world, well, this deeply held big narrative or or posture in which they lean into the world, it provides us with a portal or a, a way of approaching answers to these types of questions and others as well. So let's look at some of the examples of these big stories um, that may help to bring some people answers to these questions before we actually have a look at what question, how the Bible's big picture story answers the questions. First of all, how would a Buddhist... A Buddhist framework, how would it actually give us an answer or lead to an answer, lean into an answer? Well, what's the problem? Why is there so much brokenness and injustice? Life is saturated with cravings and ambitions and attachment to material possessions. This causes me anxiety, dissatisfaction and suffering. And what would be the solution in this framework? I must deny all my desires and cravings and follow the noble eightfold path which brings an end to suffering and improves my reincarnated status, bringing me closer to nirvana. Just by way of an example, an extreme example, but there are other stories, not necessarily religious stories, woven into the fabric of our culture that provide answers. What about another one? What about the atheist? The problem for an atheist is that religion and faith and superstition, they thwart the inevitable triumph of science and reason. The solution, we must believe and trust in science and the capacity of humanity. Uh, this will bring freedom and enlightenment to the world. And Dawkins would be probably one of the poster boys uh, for this sort of big picture story. And he's been known to say, we are survival machines, robot vehicles, blindly programmed to preserve the selfish molecules known as genes. And I, I found this article, news article, where an astronaut, uh, Scott Kelly, said this. He said, I look at this space station and what we've done, building it with many different nations. I think there's nothing we can't accomplish. 
Does that have some over, over, overtones of a some Tower of Babel? Thanks, Luke. Yeah. What about this, the spiritualist kind of storyline or narrative uh, that, that shapes some people's lives? We have become disconnected with the energy and oneness of nature, and this results in suffering. We also obsess over science and evidence, and we selfishly consume the earth. What's the solution then? We'll, we must reconnect with the oneness and the spirit of the universe draw on the energy of nature to manifest the life that we want and, and, and will bring an end to our suffering. What about the fame story? Well, the problem in this sort of worldview or story is that lazy and unambitious people, think about the coaching that's given uh, from the, the, the coaches on these um, reality TV shows. Lazy and unambitious people are... Uh, uh, they, they waste their lives and they end up losers and worthless. The solution, just go for it. Dream big and be committed to your ambitions. Unleash your talent and potential. Just believe in yourself and your ability and you can become a big success. Oh, and uh, enjoy abundant consumption, which seems to be a uh, sort of side promise of these storylines. Or the sexualist storyline. We have a very strong storyline, narrative, that has sex as the very currency of uh, our transactions with each other. Other people are more sexy than I am. People won't desire me the way that I am. That I must focus. The solution, I must focus on my sexuality and, and sexiness. I must stay sexy for as long as possible. I must be having sex to be accepted. We must always act on our sexual desire and we must experiment with our sexuality and gender and so on as well. Or what about this one, consumerism? What's the problem? I don't have enough. All the latest stuff or experiences. So I can't enjoy the good life. What's the solution? Consume. That's what the solution is. That's how we bring a, a solution to the problems in this world. Of, where, well, you know, enough is never enough because when I get more stuff... And when I get new stuff and the latest phone upgrade, then I will feel better. Then I'll be more happy. Then I'll be more secure. Or, or one last one. Uh, maybe think of the kind of identity politics kind of storyline at the moment. And what's the problem? Well, most groups are voiceless and powerless and disadvantaged due to the power of the majority especially middle-class white males, actually. What's the solution in this storyline? We must fight and legislate, actually, for these groups, even past the point of common sense and what is best for the community. We must cancel anyone who raises questions. Uh, we must uh, crucify people, in inverted commas, for cultural appropriation and so on. Can you see how this works? We all have a story. We all have a narrative that... Uh, we uh, have bought into, we have attached to, that before we even think about it, brings an answer to these questions of why is there so much injustice, brokenness, uh, yuck in the world, and how is it going to be fixed? So, question for us. Do we believe that the, re that the revealed word of God is true and has authority? I'll ask it again. 
There's a couple. Do we believe that the revealed word of God is true and has authority? Yes, great. Well, then, the big picture narrative, the, the, the posture towards the world that we get from the Bible then will provide for us uh, this a, a, a beautiful answer to these questions. So let's explore that now. So, well, first of all, the Bible doesn't just give us a set of truths to hang our world on, to hang our view of the world on. It's not just a set of facts or truths like humans have been made in God's likeness or that the creation is fundamentally good. It actually gives us also a big picture story that shapes us. It's a story where uh, the Bible gives us a deeply held big picture posture to approach these questions, not just in an intellectual sort of sense, but in a way that gives a, a lived answer uh, to the question before we have even had a chance to think about it. So, that being the case, just with your elbow partner for a second while I get a glass of water, how does, well, Lisa gets me a glass of water, um, how does the big picture uh, story of the Bible give us, give us an answer to these two questions? I'm going to give you two minutes with an elbow partner to ha just have a quick discussion about that. A couple of thoughts, quick discussion, two minutes. All right, we might come back together. Let's come back together as a group. Now, I'm sure some wonderful things were starting to be discussed there, and I'm sorry I haven't given you more time to, to look at that, but let's, have a, let's actually have a look at it ourselves. But before we do, let's take a big picture look at the Bible and just see what the Bible's story, the arc of the Bible's story is like, and let's locate uh, the answers to these questions in this big picture story. I'm gonna, I've broken the story down into eight quick uh, points uh, for now. And let, let's walk through those. And I want you to think about which points in terms of number, which number of the points, one to eight, you think might actually provide a location for the answers to these two questions. The first one, well, point number one is that the cosmos is not random and without purpose. It's been made, it's been designed, loved and made by God. And it is good. To its core, in its essence, it is a good creation. But secondly, oh, let's also just make the point that this includes uh, beautiful aspects of the world, even at the macro level of gas nebulae, pandas and so on. It's a good world and it's beautiful. But it also includes... Things like this, cultural potential, cultural elements that God has woven into the good creation too, like humour, like family, like drama, like justice, language, competition, learning, leadership, music. We could mention many other things. They are good in their essence as well. Second point, God has created as part of this beautiful creation humans. And they are unique. They are unique in that they are image bearers of him. They have a unique role to be stewards of this good creation and they have a unique status of being in his likeness. And they have this 
task, point three, this task to do as stewards of the good creation, and that is to be co-cultivators of the good, not just to be environmentalists to protect the waterfalls and the pandas, but to actually be stewards of all that good creational cultural potential that he has woven in as well. And point four, humans, however, have rebelled, resulting in distortion to the good and results in pain and struggle and brokenness and injustice. A quote from uh, Plantinga I think is helpful here. Badness is twisted goodness, polluted goodness, divided goodness, but even after the twisting, the polluting and the dividing have happened, the goodness is still there and we must remember that. Point five in this breakneck tour, his work on the cross and, and him being the first fruits, he is ushering in a new kingdom, a new kingdom where it's a kingdom of renewal and restoration and redemption and reconciliation. And now we see ourselves as co-reconcilers and kingdom cultivators. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And lastly, point eight in this big picture tour. Jesus is returning and he's returning and when he does, he'll be bringing a full and complete and ultimate redemption to all things. I love that imagery in the Bible that takes us from a garden in the beginning to this beautiful and perfect city at the end with all of its cultural uh, outworkings and potential as well. Oh, that's a, one of those random slides that sneaks in for no reason. Um, so creation, yes, creation is fallen. Did you have an idea of which points, by the way? Did you, did you think which ones? Yep. So let's pick up um, uh, this point here. Better go back to my notes. Point four it was, rebellion and sin. And we know that the whole of creation has been damaged, yeah? Uh, we know that the whole creation has been groaning and in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We see this in Romans Romans 8. And another quote from Plantico I think is helpful. Creation speaks out of both sides of its mouth now. It sings and rings, but it also groans. So in his generosity, God has given us this freedom to choose there's freedom to choose between uh, to live in a way that trusts him and honours him or freedom actually to deny his sovereignty and to live us in a, in a self-focus and self-service. Now the first humans believed this lie that the creator was not trustworthy, not his lordship, not, prov not his provision nor promises. Uh, they chose to live as if they were God. And this decision that they made then profoundly changed all of history. So now, rebellion against his sovereignty. The Bible refers to this as sin. And this sin, well, it tainted everything. The relationship between God and uh, his people was damaged, tainted. The relationship between people and other people was damaged, the relationship between humans and the creation was damaged. Actually, 
we learn in the Bible that even the very fabric of creation now groans under the weight of the distortion and damage that we see from sin. I thought of a little demonstration. Don't know how it's going to work. Let's find out. Uh, what's that a picture of, Ray? Just describe it to everybody for us. It's a... Yeah, can you all see that? Yeah, beautiful uh, water. Key, key word there, beautiful. Beautiful aspect of creation there. Uh, and, and, you know, God's, God's by God's design. But if we take this and crumple it up, and then we have a look at it again, is it still beautiful? It's still, it's still beautiful. It's still a picture of the beautiful aspect, one slice of God's creation. But what do we see now? We see all these kind of cracks and fissures and well, there's, there's a crumpling in it now i think that's what creation is now like it is still beautiful it is still good but it's got all these cracks and crumples in it as we look at it oh sorry zoom people that was the uh picture and i crumpled it up like this and then we can look at it and see that it's still the same beautiful creation but it's now got these crumples going through it So, despite the creation still being, in essence, good, sin results in all strands of creation now having these cracks, having these fissures, having these crumples in which injustice dwells. This injustice from, uh, from sin is unfortunately prone to poke its ugly head out and into the light of day all too regularly, as we learnt in the uh, stats at the beginning. A little pause just to take a little aside for a second. Uh, hopefully this will work here. Sometimes when we're thinking about this, we can tend to say, okay, well that means that parts of the world, parts of the creation are good and, and parts of the creation are bad. And we, we tend to talk about things of the kingdom of God or things of the sacred. Um, and then there's other parts the bad stuff that we talk about as being worldly and yuck. No, it's not like that. The Bible does not give us a picture of that. In fact, the Bible's picture is kind of more like this, that everything is good, but the cracks, the crumpling, the fissures from the fall have actually pervaded everything. And now there's this kind of battle going on between all good things, this battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Let's go back to our main um, point here. And this quote from C.S. Lewis, I think, is helpful. Goodness is, so to speak, itself. Badness is only spoiled goodness, and there must be something good first before it can be spoiled. All right, so we'll get back into the thread of things uh, and... The answers to these questions, which point or points start to give us an answer from the Bible's big story? And we then look at renewal, this whole idea that God has a plan. This is point five, that God has a plan to deal with the damage. And that plan started with Jesus and what he has done. The plan to deal with evil and sin and therefore the injustice. It's a plan, actually, where... Jesus brings 
to and through and by and within himself, he brings a renewal to all things. And he brings a restoration of all things. And he brings a redemption of all things. Is there another R word we can think of that might be? A rescue, yes, a rescue of his people and his creation. Another R word. Yeah, I was thinking of reconciliation as well. Remedy, yes. Uh, they keep coming. You can stop now because we've hit the one I wanted, right? <coughs> and so God is ushering in this uh, new kingdom as he brings and unfolds this plan of redemption and renewal and rec- reconciliation uh, to all things. It's a plan to fix all the distortions and the cracks and the crumples in the good creation and to redeem all broken relationships and ultimately all tainted human endeavours. See, woven through the entire history of God's dealing with humanity, initially through a chosen nation, then outwards to those who live for him among all nations, is the constant thread of a promise that all will be renewed and restored. And despite humans being the originators of the sin at the beginning... Uh, humans are actually the focus of the redemption and restoration of all things. So much so that God unfolds his plan of renewal by entering into the creation as, as a human, as a man, as Jesus. See, the pivot point of all... How's that one? Good? Luke, I don't know how you do it. Does that just clamp in on it after a time on you? It gets really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> so let me take it off. If we don't need it. So, the pivot point of all uh, of the whole history of the universe is God entering into the creation as Jesus in living a perfect life, a sin-free life. Uh, a sin-free life that did not in any way contribute to the web of evil and injustice that humanity cannot help but marinate in. Jesus himself humbly claimed that his mission was to live, to die, and to live again in a way that would usher in the beginning of the grand plan to renew all, all things. So this grand plan, the Bible speaks of it as with the imagery and notion of it being a coming of a, of a new kingdom. Uh, so that brings, us to, uh, that brings us to this ushering in of the new kingdom. See, the first fruits of a new kingdom, Jesus, a new order of things, uh, uh, God's coming kingdom. We could describe it as uh, a restoration of the original kind of perfect order of things. Um, we could describe it as a kingdom where truth and love and forgiveness and faithfulness are uncompromised. We could think of it as a kingdom where the effects of sin and brokenness are, well, they're pushed aside. It's a kingdom where God fully is fully and properly honoured. And it's a kingdom where reconciliation pervades every little nook and cranny and crumple in the creation. Does this sound like heaven? Yeah, heaven, 
heaven being, if, if heaven is the perfect place where God dwells, uh, just like he did in the garden, then yes, it is kind of like the beginning and the bringing of heaven. So therefore, we look at the final point of Jesus returning and the heaven uh, and earth coming together and this perfect new kingdom. So there is a sense in which this new kingdom is a reuniting of heaven and earth. God, in Jesus, comes into the broken world and begins the spread of this new kingdom. And Jesus both spoke and demonstrated this new kingdom. He gave glimpses of it by speaking truth, by healing the sick and those with disabilities, and by confronting injustice in the community. He gave us a whiff or a a glimpse or a foretaste of the new order of things, uh, which is an unfolding of the original redemptive plan of God right from the start. Now, this brings us now to Colossians, that Jeremy, uh, Jared read so well for us uh, earlier. For God was pleased, I'll just highlight this verse, yeah, these verses. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself, what? All things, everything whether things on earth or things in heaven. Paul's little attempt to try and capture the notion of all things, there's nothing outside of these categories, uh, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If I do something, I want to highlight that all things, in fact, if we read, if you noticed, we read the other, the full passage before, and that notion of all things, all things, all things, just keep jumping out. So, How do we respond to this? What does this mean for us? Well, I think we are called. We're called to live in a way that both speaks and shows the big picture story of the world. And I think we are called to speak and show the true answer to the big questions of life. We focused on the two tonight of what's wrong with the world and how is it fixed. And I think that we, it calls us to relax in the beautiful truth that God's coming kingdom uh, will bring a restoration to all things. And we do this even in the face of injustice, suffering and brokenness. Can I read you a quote from The Frog and the Fish? If you follow Jesus and acknowledge his big plan of restoration, you cannot help but be inspired to tell the good news of what is possible and what is coming to all who may listen. It truly is great news that injustice and evil will be completely and profoundly dealt with. Can you imagine it? A perfectly just world. No corruption, no lies, no bullying, no disasters, no suffering, no death and not even any bad hair days. I would say, bring on the kingdom of restoration, yeah? It's kind of like the kingdom first starts in people's hearts and then it flows out and around all of the injustice 
and the brokenness and the taint and the cracks and the darkness and the, and the crumples in, the, in this world. Another little quick aside. Let's not forget God's common grace as well. God's common grace? Well, we can think of God's common grace as being really quite massive and we can talk about one part of it being special grace where he uh, uh, saves his people. Uh, through Jesus. But there's this common grace, this universal grace that he gives, well, many good gifts to all of humanity all the time. And, and this actually ultimately results in him holding back through him working through his common grace in all people, holding back the full effects of the fall, the full effects of the damage and brokenness caused by sin. Just imagine for a second, imagine the brokenness and self-service that you notice in your own heart. Deliberate pause. Just imagine and reflect on that brokenness, selfishness that you notice in you. Multiply that by everybody in the world. And, well, why don't our societies just completely disintegrate? It's because of God's common grace that he gives to people. Let me just also, uh, in terms of helpfully understanding this, let me read another quote here. The capacity for evil that now exists in the world is substantial. Life in this world could be so much worse than it is. However, the Bible paints a picture of God extending grace to his people and to those that don't acknowledge him. He sustains the creation moment by moment. He holds off the full potential and effect of evil. Even though the human heart now has a default tendency to sinful self-service, God allows all of humanity to discover great things, to show amazing humanitarian kindness, to develop education systems, to produce beautiful works of art, to fight against injustice, to organise government systems, to parent with wisdom and generosity and, and develop all of the cultural strands of creation for mutual benefit. I can recognise and celebrate that our society could be more like what is portrayed in dystopian movies if God, in his general grace, common grace, was not holding back the full evil effects of the human heart. Thank you, God. Amen. Well, this brings us to a bit of an end. I don't think... Lisa, did you mention that... We, yes, we might have time... I don't know if we have time... Uh, for questions. But let me just bring a little summary to bear. Can I encourage us, when we think about why is there so much injustice brokenness, damage in the world, what can we do about it? And can I encourage us, when we feel like we're in the midst of experiencing that injustice and brokenness, can I encourage us to lean into God's big picture story of the world, which brings a beautiful explanation, a beautiful answer to those questions? Can I also encourage us to know and to give thanks for God's big picture plan to ultimately bring a restoration to all things, a redemption, a renewal and a reconciliation of all things in Jesus, both by him and for him and through him and in him. Can I also encourage us to respond to the invitation that God has given us 
to actually participate in God's plan to redeem, renew and restore all things. Uh, from the institutions that we might be a part of, right down to the situations that we find ourselves in moment by moment in life. All of these are opportunities for us to seek and unfold God's good kingdom of renewal and reconciliation. We started with some pretty yucky reflections on some yucky things. Can I leave us with this? Anyone else know this, this picture? This is a picture uh, of prams that were left, uh, and this happened right across Poland, prams that were left on railway stations for the families, for the mothers of children who were escaping Ukraine. So the people in Poland actually went and they found all these extra prams and they just left them on the stations and on the border crossings for them to use. Over to you.